Good morning. So last week, Kim started a, a series that's only running about two weeks called Greatest in the Kingdom, and she walked us through a conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers where they were arguing and bickering about who was the greatest and who was better and who deserved more. And Jesus resolved it by saying this. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be great among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what Jesus was saying was that, that regardless of who you are, you have the opportunity to be great. He was saying that, that greatness has nothing to do at all with what? It has nothing to do with what you have, what your position is, what your title is, what your job is, what your influence is, what your skills are, what your income is. It has nothing to do with what that real greatness is about how. How you leverage what you have. It's about how. And those who leverage what they have and they leverage their best for the best of others are truly great. That, that many people spend their lives trying to leverage their best to serve themselves and advance themselves because there's this sense that the more I have, the more what I have, the greater I am. But Jesus said, no, no, no. True greatness is about how you leverage your what to serve those around you. Is that distracting to you guys too? Yeah. Whew, glad somebody said something about it. Yeah, I'm trying to ignore it myself. Um, it may never stop. <laughs> it did. Whew. I didn't know if I'd make it through. So since nobody heard the last three minutes, <laughs> back to where we were. It's not about what. True greatness, Jesus said, is not about what. It's about how we leverage what we have, which means that anybody, regardless of what their position is, regardless of what their skills are, their income is, their talents are, regardless of all those things, you have the opportunity for true greatness because true greatness is about how you leverage what you have. And true greatness is about leveraging your best for the best of others. And as we talked about last week, he said, or Kim talked us through how, how that wasn't an arbitrary standard. It wasn't like Jesus just picked something out of the hat and said, you know, this will be our standard for greatness. That our standard for greatness is leveraging our best for the best of others because that's how God designed life to work. That is the principle that is meant to govern all of the universe. That life can only work when everybody seeks to leverage their best for the best of others. And we know that. We know that because wherever we look on earth where we find people who are leveraging their best to advance themselves, we see people who are overlooked and excluded and abused. And we know personally that whenever we find ourselves trying to leverage our best to advance ourselves, we know that it costs us happiness, that it costs us peace, it costs us relationships, and it leads to anxiety. And we know this, we know that whenever we see on earth people who are leveraging their best for the best of others, 
We see things improve. We see lives transformed. We see communities advanced. Things get better. And we know personally that whenever we seek to leverage our best for the best of others, it makes us happier. We have more peace. Our relationships improve. Our experience of life is elevated because that's how God designed life to work. It's the only way life can work. And that's why Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. Because when we truly love others, and that's what he's talking about here, whenever we love, leverage our best for the best of others, that's love. That's what he's talking about. And when we live according to that principle, that's how life was designed to work. Life the way that all of our hearts long for works best when all of us leverage our best for the best of others. So if you were Jesus, if you were Jesus and you knew that this idea that, that when people leverage their best for the best of others, if you knew that that was the thing, that was the only hope for real transformation in this world, if that was the only hope for a broken world, as if everybody gets on board with this principle of leveraging our best for the best of others. If you were Jesus, how would you advance that idea? And I'm, forgive me for this, I'm not meaning to minimize what Jesus did, has done, or is doing, but just so we can conceptualize it better, I'm going to put this into marketing terms. So if you're Jesus and you know that your product has the ability to completely transform the world globally, how do you market your product? And you've already run a proof of concept and you have a handful of investors, 12, give or take one, how do you, what is your marketing strategy for advancing your product? And if you're God, you, or if you're Jesus, you already know that, that nobody's going to respond if you advance it through force or coercion or manipulation or you try to shove it down their throats. You know that that's not going to work because nobody buys stuff that's being pushed on them. So maybe what you could do is put some billboards up in the sky that everybody can see, or maybe you take your initial investors and you send them out as sales representatives to the corners of the world to tell people about this idea. But here's what you also know, is that you know that if anybody's trying to sell you something and they say, this is going to change your life, we want them to what? Prove it. Prove it. You're saying this is going to make my life better? Prove it. And so Jesus knows there's, there has to be something to back this up. And, and, and we know that because whenever we like go to buy something online and it says it's actually going to be good, we always scroll down and we read the what? Customer reviews, right? We always do. Because if somebody's promising that this is actually good, like we want to know. We want them to prove it. Prove that it's good. We don't even buy a toothbrush without reading the customer reviews anymore, right? And so Jesus recognizes that my marketing strategy is going to have to not only be this message of, hey, there's this better way of living, take my word for it. The message is going to have to be, there's a better way of living, come and see. And not only does this make sense, not only is, is this just the logical conclusion that we would come to if we were Jesus, but this is exactly what Jesus did. And that's what I want us to see this morning. So we're going to start 
By looking at an account written by one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life who spent most of Jesus' three-year ministry by the side of Jesus. And the really cool thing is that we still have that account of that eyewitness today. All of us have access to it. It's actually in our Bible. And it's under the, the title, the book of Matthew, because uncoincidentally, it was written by Matthew. So Matthew writes this account, and in this account, he recounts this conversation that Jesus had with his closest disciples. He pulled them aside. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they throw, started throwing out all kinds of answers. And then Jesus narrowed it down. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter, who was always the first one to open his mouth and usually always the first one to put his foot in his mouth, stood up and said, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we have to understand what he meant with that, that um, title, Christ or Messiah. It, it means anointed one, someone who is chosen specifically by God for a specific mission. And the Messiah was somebody that God's people had been waiting for for hundreds of years. It was someone that the prophets had promised God was going to send that was going to bring transformation and restoration to his creation so when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, he was saying, you are the one that we've been promised. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that God promised he was going to send that's going to bring transformation across the globe. And Jesus responds and says, you know what? You're right. And he says, and on this rock, meaning on this foundational truth, based on the fact that I am the Messiah, I am the one you've been waiting for, I am the creator who's come to restore his creation, based on that as the foundation, with that as the rock, and then Jesus unveils his marketing strategy. Because I am the one who's come to bring transformation, Jesus says, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to bring transformation to this world. So upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And ecclesia was the, the literal Greek word that Jesus used to describe what he was going to do to bring transformation. And ecclesia literally translates to a gathering of people. So Jesus says, yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the one who's going to come and bring transformation. And the way that I'm going to do it is by building a community of people. And Peter must have been like, but what are you going to call it? And Jesus is like, well, I told you, a community of people, but it's not very catchy, but it's descriptive because I want everybody to know, I want everybody to be really clear on what I'm doing. I'm building a community of people. And over the past hundreds of years, that, that, that word has been translated different ways, and, and when we read it in our New Testament today, it's translated by the word church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Now, the problem with that is that all of us have these mixed up weird misconceptions of what church means. And so we read that and it sounds like Jesus is going to bring transformation by building a bunch of buildings with steeples and stained glass. Or Jesus is going to build like this institutionalized religion. Or, or Jesus is going to change the world by, you know, creating something that happens just on Sunday mornings that we come to and have a good time and listen to good music and then go to lunch afterwards, you know? And so we, we read this and we kind of miss what Jesus is saying here. All he's saying is, I'm going to bring transformation into the world and I'm going to do it by building a community. I'm going to build a community. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus said, here's the thing that I'm going to do to bring transformation to the world. I am going to build a community. 
And that is all that I'm going to do until I return. I'm going to build a community and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop me. And then six months later, Jesus, it's the night before he's crucified and he sits down and he gets his disciples again together to prepare them for what's going to happen next. He says, remember guys, remember how I said I was going to build this community? Remember how I said transformation was going to come through this community that I was going to build? Let me explain to you what's going to set this community apart from everybody else. Let me explain to you what's going to set this apart. He says this in John chapter 13. He says, as I have loved you, he says, come on guys, remember how I've loved you? Remember how I've always stood up for you and everybody was against you? Remember how I've stood by your side? Remember how I've rescued you from danger? I've rescued you from death? Remember how I was always there for you, helping you, guiding you? And remember how I've loved you? So you must love one another. By this, by how you love one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said, here's the thing that's going to build, set this community apart, this community I'm going to build. What's going to set it apart is not how much you know, it's not your theology, it's not how much scripture you have memorized, it's not what political party you belong to, it's not how much you can yell, it's not what you're against. What I want to set you apart from everybody else in the world is how you love one another. That is going to be the critical distinction. Because what I want this community to do is to be a community that demonstrates for the whole world to see how I designed life to work. I designed life to work according to the principle of love, where everyone collectively leverages their best for everyone else. And I want to take you guys and build a community that displays that kind of love for the rest of the world to see. And then he was arrested, he was put on mock trial, he was crucified, and three days later he rose from the dead just as he had promised, and he met with his followers for 40 days. And at the end of that time when he was meeting with his followers, before he ascended to heaven, he said, here's your mission. So remember how I said I was going to build this community of people? Here's what I want that community to do. And here's what he said. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So he says, I have all authority, not by force, not by power, not because I fought for it, but because I've demonstrated my goodness. I've shown that I would rather lay down my life than punish you. I'd rather be nailed to a cross than, lay, than raise a finger against you. I've proven I can be trusted with all power, that I'm good, I'm humble, I'm loving. You can trust me. All authority has been entrusted to me. He says, therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make students. Go and make followers. Go and help people learn how to live this way I've created you to live. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He said, hey guys, remember how I told you all those stories and you didn't really always understand what I was telling you about? And remember all those lessons I gave you and the practical tips and the practical principles for how to live this out? Remember the example that I set for you? Saying all of that was to teach you how to love others, how to leverage your best for the best of others. That's what all of it adds up to. And go out and make students, make disciples, make followers who understand how to live that way. Teach other people how to live that way. So what Jesus is saying is what I'm doing, my plan for transforming the entire world is by creating communities of people who demonstrate what self-sacrificial love looks like. 
communities that demonstrate this is what life was created to be like and put it on display for the entire world to see what life looks like when people collectively leverage their best for the best of others. So they can go out and say, there is a God who loves us so much that he died for us, and he's given us a better way of living. Come and see. Come and check it out. Come experience it. And he intended for them to invite people into it so people could experience what it's like to be in a community where life works the way it was designed according to the principle of self-sacrificial love. And you know what the first thing his followers did after he ascended to heaven, the first thing they did? You might think that since Jesus told them to go out and make disciples of all nations, like, that's a lot. That's a lot of ground to cover. So it might be logical to say, well, let's split up. We can cover more ground that way. But they didn't split up. They didn't go and write books to get published so everybody could read what they wrote. The first thing that they did after Jesus ascended is they started a church. They started a community of people because they understood what Jesus' vision and mission were for bringing transformation throughout the world. So they started a church. And we read about what that church was like in a book called Acts. It was written by an eyewitness named Luke who, who, who uh, talked to and uh, interviewed other eyewitnesses of Jesus and what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. And he wrote this book called Acts, which is short for Acts of the Apostles, which essentially just means what happened next. Jesus ascended. And this is what happened next. What happened next was they went out and started preaching about Jesus, said there's a God who loves us enough to die for us. He rose from the dead. There's a better way to live. Come and see. And then they devoted themselves. Not yet. Come on. There. Nope. Back there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So they invited these people in, and they started teaching them. Teaching them what? How to leverage their best for the best of others. All the things that Jesus had taught them. And they invited them into fellowship, which comes from the Greek word, koinonia, which means community. It was a community. They understood that what Jesus wanted them to do was build a community. So they devoted themselves to the community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. So here's this community of people coming together and saying, how can we collectively leverage our best for the best of each other and the best of others? And they gave to anyone as he had need. And he goes on to say, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. But not just in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. And listen, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Enjoying the favor of all the people. I mean, people were coming by and seeing this community that looked like nothing they had ever seen before. They were, they were seeing these, this group of people living according to the principles of self-sacrificial love. And they were like, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anybody so kind, so generous. We've never seen people living like this before. And they had the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
They were growing. They were putting on display the way that God created life to work, and it drew people in. People automatically wanted to be a part of it. And for some reason, a lot of Christians have this misconception that just by being a Christian or being affiliated with a church is going to be a turnoff to other people. Why, why is that? Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from that being a Christian or part of a church is going to be a turnoff? Followers of Christ, churches should be the most attractive people, the most beautiful people and communities to, to those who are apart from from a relationship with their creator. Followers of Christ should be the most loving, the most giving, the most gentle, the most generous, the most forgiving people anyone would ever meet. And the church should be a community where the grace of God is experienced and love and welcome and generosity is experienced. The followers of Christ and his community should be a place where when people encounter us, they're drawn in. They're won over by it. They want to be a part of it. And what I want you guys to see through this is that the church isn't an idea that we came up with. It's not an idea that, that, that Christians came up with over the hundreds, 2,000 years since, since Jesus' death and resurrection. It wasn't so, like our invention. We didn't just come up with this like control or manipulate the masses. This was Jesus' idea. This was Jesus' idea to create communities of people that put on display the love of God and invited people to come and be a part of it and see this is better. And his disciples, for his disciples, Jesus' vision and his mission for this community was so clear that they got it. They understood it. It was the first thing they did after his ascension. And they spent the rest of their lives, as we read in the New Testament, they spent the rest of their lives building the church. Because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop me. Because Jesus knows, God knows, that if there's any hope for healing this world, if there's any hope for something bringing restoration and transformation into this world, it's when people make the decision to trust him and live his way. And the only way that that's going to happen is when communities of his followers put on display what it looks like, what it feels like to live in perfect community and invite other people to come and see. The local church, Jesus' church, is the hope of the world. If anything is going to bring real transformation to our world, the kind of transformation that our hearts long for. It's going to come through the church, through communities of people displaying perfect love and inviting everybody else. Oh, you got to come. You got to come experience this. There's a better way to live. Come and see. And since that time, since that first church, the church has continued to grow around the world. It has grown to over 2 billion people on every continent on the earth. Yes, I know Antarctica is a continent. There's a church in Antarctica. Believe it or not, it's there. On every continent around the globe, the church has continued to grow. And, the, and Jesus has grown his church despite people hijacking and manipulating the church for their own purposes, for their own gain. The church has grown despite the fact that people have tried to line their own pockets by manipulating the church. The church has continued to grow. 
The church has continued to grow even though it's been persecuted and in its infancy, the strongest empire on the earth tried to squelch it entirely and yet it grew. And the church has continued to grow today even though around the world right now in many countries it's outlawed and banned. Christians aren't allowed to meet together yet the church has continued to grow. And the church hasn't grown through military power or force or by bullying anybody even though that's been tried but it's not why the church has grown. The church has grown because people, followers of Jesus, have gone out and established communities where true love is demonstrated and people are invited into it. And wherever a church is planted, wherever you find those kinds of communities, individual lives are transformed, families are changed, education is advanced, the status of women and children is elevated every single time. Injustices are brought to light and dealt with. Everywhere you find these communities, the water, the tides, it rises. Everything gets better because the local church, I'm telling you, it is the hope of the world. And Bill Hybels, a great leader, an amazing pastor, concluded this about it. He said, there's nothing like the local church, when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the, for to the forgotten and downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And around the globe today, Jesus continues to build his church. And he's building communities in Singapore and Sydney and Calcutta and Calgary and Baghdad and Aleppo and London and Paris. And here in Frederick, Jesus desires to build his church. And that's why... Randy Goldenberg, 20-some years ago, felt led by God to start a community called Frederick Christian Fellowship. It was a community. It was a fellowship. It was a koinonia. It was a group of people that would get together with a singular mission to help those in the Frederick area reach their full redemptive potential in Christ. His vision was Jesus' vision was to start a community of people that asked, how do we collectively leverage our best for the best of others? How can we take our best, our unique giftings, abilities, experiences, talents, how can we put those things together to help people elevate towards their best, to become who God created them to be and do the things that God created them to do and experience life at the level that God created them to experience at? That's been the mission of the church for the past 20 or so years. Be a community of people that elevate others, that leverage our best for the best of others. And we welcome everybody. We've put on, this, we've put on display the beauty of community 
living life the way God created it. We've put it on display here in Frederick, and we invite everybody to come in and experience it. Everybody's welcome to come and see. Everybody's welcome, regardless of race or economic status, regardless of spiritual background or current spiritual beliefs, regardless of politics or gender identity. Everybody is welcome here to encounter a God who loves them enough to die for them and experience the life that he created for them for. And the vision for our church, the vision has always been to become a biblically functioning community, a community that expresses the heart of Christ to the people of Frederick, a community that demonstrates this is what it looks like when we live God's way. This is how life was created to work. Come and see. You've never seen anything like this before. Come and see. And our VIPs, the VIPs here, are exactly what you find in the New Testament. If you've ever read the New Testament, you can't deny who the VIPs are. They're those who are not yet in relationship with their creator. Those are our VIPs here. In every room on our campus, in every home in which followers of Christ meet, the VIP is always people who have not encountered the love of God and experienced the community that he created them to live in. That's been our mission. That's what we exist for. That's what we're doing here. And there are lots of you guys, lots of you guys, tons of you guys who've bought into this. You get it. You understand that church isn't something that you show up to. Church isn't something that you attend. Church is a community that you participate in. It's a community that, that you join and you participate in. We leverage your best for the best of others. And you do amazing things. You're here in the offices through the week. You change diapers on Sunday mornings. You make sure that our grounds and facilities look immaculate to express excellence to all of our guests. You welcome our children every Sunday morning with hugs and smiles and remind them that God loves them no matter what. You receive texts from middle and high schoolers in the middle of the night because they're in crisis. You restore marriages. You walk alongside of people who are going through some of the most horrific seasons in life. Throughout the week, you can be found in hospitals and homeless shelters and soup kitchens and under-resourced neighborhoods. You show up early, you stay late, and you demonstrate excellence in everything that you do. And as someone who has benefited from the things that you guys do week in and week out, I say thank you. I say thank you because you have served me, you've served my marriage, and you've served my children. And I'm so thankful for what all of you guys do. And you were wondering what this was for. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Those of you who, who participate in this community like that, if this is the pool, you guys are in it, okay? You're in. You've gone all in. You recognize what Jesus is doing. From the time he ascended until he returns, you recognize that what he's doing is building this beautiful community and you're in, you're bought in and you're experiencing the benefits of it. You're experiencing the benefits of seeing God work through you to transform lives. And you know it, you feel it. And there are a lot of you, and I don't say this to, to shame or guilt anyone. If you are a guest here this morning, we are so happy you are here. We are not trying to force you or twist your arm or get you to do anything 
for us whatsoever. We're so glad you're here, and if we can serve you, let us know how. We'll do it gladly. But there are many of you who, if we asked you, you would say, FCF Church is your church. But you're lined up along the side. You're lined up along the side, and you're just kind of observing. And again, I, I, I don't say this to shame or guilt anyone. But I want you to know you're missing out. You're missing out on the way that God wants you to experience life. You're missing out on this beautiful community. You're missing out on seeing the things that God wants to do uniquely through you that nobody else can do, that nobody else was designed to do. You're missing it. You're missing it. And I want to invite you this morning. I know there are all kinds of things that stand in the way. I know there are all kinds of commitments and obligations and other things that you have going on in your life, but I'm telling you, whatever you have to cut out of your life will be worth it. It'll be so worth it. In 5, 10, 20 years in the future, you'll look back, there might be all kinds of things that you will regret. But getting connected and involved in leveraging your best within this kind of community, you will never regret it. You'll never regret it. So I want to invite you this morning to jump in. That's it. On, on the chairs all through the auditorium, we have book, booklets that, that describe our serving opportunities. And we had to call it serving opportunities because it explains what it is. But really, when we couldn't fit this on the cover... It's opportunities to figure out how to leverage your best for the best of others. It was just too long and unwieldy. So it's serving opportunities. I know serving sounds like everything that everybody else is asking you to do everywhere else in your life. Everybody's calling you to serve and, and, and give up your time and give up your money for all these other things. But no, we're inviting you to come and leverage your unique God-designed best because this community here is the hope of the world. And if you're standing along the edge, man, I'm going to invite you to get up on the diving board, pick something in there. There's something for everyone, regardless of what your time, talents, or anything else looks like. There's, all, there's a place in the body of Christ for everyone. There's something in there for you. And I want you to just jump in. Jump in and start getting involved somewhere, aligned with how God has designed and equipped you to, to leverage your best for the best of others. Just jump in and get started. And chances are, possibly for a lot of you, the first place that you get involved in that kind of capacity, it may not be the place that God is necessarily calling you to. But that's okay. You'll, 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 you'll land in a spot, it's like, ah, this is okay, but I feel like maybe I should be over here doing this. You feel the Spirit of God leading you somewhere else to do something else. But you have to get started because God can't guide you, He can't direct you if you're stationary. You have to be moving so that He can get you to where he wants you to be. So you might start here, and then you might move over here and serve there for a season and find, ah, that's not quite it either. And then you move over here, and you try that out for a period of time. And on average, often on average, it takes about five moves, five different serving positions, and great things are happening all, the, all along the way. You're discovering things about yourself. You're discovering things about others. You're discovering things about how God works. But ultimately, around number five, you find that sweet spot where you just feel like you're in the center of God's will. 
where the way that you're serving, you could feel like it just feels recreational and it energizes you and it pumps you up. And it's like, yeah, this is it. This is where God wants me. This is where I feel like I'm giving my best for the best of others. But you got to move around. You got to be willing to, to allow God to guide you from place to place. And you got to, above all things, get started. You got to make that decision that if this is what Jesus is doing until he comes back, if this is the hope of the world, I'm going to be a part of that. And you move around. And what you never do, what you never do, you never get out. You never sit on the side. You never spectate. This is where it's at. This is where the life that God created us for is being lived out. And you won't regret it. Ten years ago, I was sitting in one of those seats right over there. And I was a not yet follower of Jesus. I'd been thinking about it for a long time and evaluating things and questioning things and wondering about things. And I was kind of kind of right along the edge. And I remember one Sunday morning sitting in one of those seats right over there. I remember just having this clear understanding of where I was and what I was doing. I just had like this mental image that I was kind of like standing along the side of the pool and watching everybody in the pool, everybody who is connected to Christ and living it out in the context of this beautiful community, enjoying it, talking about how great it was, talking about how amazing it was, talking about how transformative it was, and I was standing on the side, and I was evaluating it essentially by just dipping in my toe, just kind of testing it out. And by dipping in my toe, thinking, doesn't seem that great. And I had this mental image as I sat there that essentially, if I wanted to know if what everybody else was saying who was in the pool, if I wanted to know if that was true, I was going to have to go all in. You know, I was going to have to just take all of my restrictions off and just go all in. I remember sitting in that chair over there on Sunday morning 10 years ago and making that decision. You know what, God? I want to see if this is all it's cracked up to be. I'm all in. You have complete control. Complete control of my time, my resources, my abilities, whatever I have to offer. You have complete control. I'm all in because I want to see if this is what everybody says it is. And in 10 years of serving in different ministries and different areas, and seeing the things that God is willing to allow me to be a part of and experiencing the community that he's invited me into. In 10 years, I've never had a single regret. In 10 years, there's never been a moment where I regretted that decision to jump in and go all in. Not once. And I guarantee you won't either. And whatever you might have to cut out of your life to do that, it will be more than worth it. I promise you, it will be more than worth it. So, on behalf of Christ and his church that he is building, I want to give you the invitation of a lifetime. Step up and jump in 
and see what God is willing to do with your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of the transformative work that you are doing here on earth through this community called the church. I thank you so much for the fact that regardless of how broken we are, how messed up we are, no matter how much baggage we have, you welcome us in, you invite us in, and you allow us to participate with you in this amazing work that you are doing. Lord, I know that there are many of us who sense your spirit urging us to take that step. And I pray so much that your spirit would have his way with us. I ask it in Jesus' name.